All right, let's begin. We are focused on chapter 6 of the book of Mark today. Chapter 6. And uh, I asked you last week to take a look at Psalm 107. Did you do that? (gasps) What? You did not obey my commands? Okay, I'm going to read Psalm 107 to you, whether you like it or not. So uh, listen up. Um, I think there's just some interesting connections in this little psalm. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west and the north and the south. Do you remember when we talked about Jesus' ministry reaching out to the north and to the south and to the east and the west and all around? Some wandered in the deserts and finding no, finding no way to a city there they, where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. When they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, he delivered them from their distress and he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. Did we talk about a guy in iron chains last week? Because they rebelled against God's command and despised the plans of the Most High. Isn't this exactly what the demon called Jesus, the Son of the Most High? So he subjected them to bitter labor and they stumbled and there was no help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Um, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through the bars of iron. Some became fools. Though their rebellious ways, through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities, they loathed all food and drew near to the gates of death. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and he rescued them from the grave. Didn't Jesus just raised somebody from the grave? Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell his works with songs of joy. Some went out to the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters and they saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up the tempest that lifted up the waves. They mounted up the heavens and went down to the depths in their peril. Their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were, in, they were at their wits end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the sea were hushed and they were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Um, sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Okay. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, the fruitful land into salt w- into a salt waste because the wickedness of those who live there. 
He turned the desert into pools of water, and he parched, and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they found a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards and that yield a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did that um, and he did not let their herds diminish. There their numbers de decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow, and he poured contempt on nobles, made them wander in trackless ways. He lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased and he and, and he increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the ones, the one who is wise, heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Um, it's an interesting psalm, but isn't it interesting how so many different points of connection as we've moved through these first five, six chapters of the book of Mark, we, be, we see just hints connected in this psalm. And I think that... Um, Mark does this frequently. We're going to see it, especially in chapter 7, just a hint, uh, how he'll use an Old Testament passage sometimes to pattern his narrative upon. And so, um, interesting how we see the fulfillment of this psalm in the actions of Jesus. And um, it's too many to be a coincidence, I think. Okay, so that's just, that's just for free. All right. Let's, let's take a look now at uh, the sending out of the 12. Uh, somebody read for us uh, verses um, 7, 6, middle of 6, through uh, 13. send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. All right. Let's talk about the sending out of the 12. Jesus is going to send out the 12. These are the 12 apostles. What does the word apostle mean? One who's sent out. Those who are sent out, right? That, I mean, literally, that's what it means, the sent out ones. And so, obviously, Jesus had this in mind from the beginning. These are the apostles. They are the sent out ones. And so Jesus now is beginning to activate his um, his disciples, to move them from just being with him to being his representatives, his ambassadors, as Kevin said. So let's talk about these guys. What, um, what are the instructions that he gives to the, to the disciples 
as he sends them out? Pack lightly. Okay. Pack nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, very. No Take nothing. Well, the first one was to go to get go in pairs. Go in pairs. Okay. Uh, two T toe. <laughs> T W. Early. Two by two. Okay. Why do you think he wants them to go in pairs? Safety. Safety. Well, it says where two or more gathering, there he will be. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think there's some real practicalness about it. When one is, when, you know, it's always better to work together, right? When, and I think Jesus is building this sense of community. He wants to build community. We notice um, if, if, you know, it hasn't been written yet, but the book of Acts, uh, we're going to see that Paul, who is pretty much an independent person, as soon as he becomes, you know, after God's calling on him, you never see him alone. He always has at least one companion. Barnabas, he begins to build teams around himself. Because he understands this principle. This is something that's important in the kingdom, that we don't do this together. It's body ministry, okay? And so we need to minister. Uh, the, I think one is, one is ministering, the other is praying, right? They're uh, supporting one another. Um, and so we see this happening. Take nothing. Why does he tell them not to take anything? No change of clothes, no money, no anything. Dependence on God. Okay. Dependence on God. Also, I think... It gives the people the opportunity to minister back to them through shelter, through food. So, uh, you know, if they go self-sufficient, then that that removes the possible blessing that they could, the people. Could That's right. Get That's right. Just by being hospitable. Absolutely, and it changes your posture. <clears throat> Uh, and I can tell you this. I mean, I've done a lot of this kind of ministry in my life, going into, the, into poor communities and ministering to people and living in their homes and staying with them and eating their food and sitting at their table. If you are independent, if you have everything that you need and you can stay in your own place and you, you, know, you bring your little trailer with you or you take a tent, you sleep out in the yard, it changes the way you relate to people. But when you are at the mercy of them, when you are participating from their hospitality, it opens doors, okay? And so Jesus is setting them up for success in ministry. Uh, what else does he say? He gave them authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a couple more instructions before we get to the authority part. Oh. I want to get to that. You are to take, they were to take something. A staff. A staff. A staff. Okay. Um, that's kind of a strange instruction. Okay. Uh, so we'll just, we'll just mark that. He says, take a staff with you. Why does, why does he tell him to take a staff? To walk like an Egyptian. To walk, a walking stick. Yeah, they are traveling a lot. He tells them to take sandals. Right? A shepherd's tool. Okay, a shepherd's tool. Very good. Could it also be to defend themselves if they encounter, <laughs> if they encounter 
you know, something unpleasant, I don't know. It says take a staff, no, okay? In, a, in modern day, that'd be a group of people with you that did your business. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Right. Maybe that's what he's saying. Staff it up. Okay, so take a step. What else does he have? Sandals. Okay, take sandals. Okay, you're obviously going to be walking, walking a, lot. a lot. Okay. Maybe the staff to help with the walking. All right. What else? That's what they're for. Ex do not take an extra tunic. Okay. No extra stuff, right? No extra clothes. Kind of on the, depend de the dependent side. Mm -hmm. What about staying in homes? Stay in. Yeah. 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 Stay, stay in one, stay in one, one home. Be in a welcome place, not a. Don't move away. Stay in the first place that opens a door to you. Okay, why is this an important principle? That way you're not cherry picking, well, they're richer than they are, and we'll stay with them because. Well, yeah, we've heard somebody's feelings if you go, oh, well, I'm going to go stay with so and so. Okay, what happens when you start healing people and your ministry becomes real exciting in the town? Um, All of a sudden, the wealthier people are going to say, hey, Come stay at my house, buddy, and you're going to get the you're going to be tempted to upgrade. Mm -hmm. Right? You're going to be tempted to move up in the society to a more comfortable place uh, where there's better food, where there's better hospitality, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, who wouldn't? But God, there's a sense that God has prepared the way, and the first person that opens the door is the person that God has prepared. That person who is a seeker, who is a, a man of peace, a woman of peace, who has opened the door to you, and you're going to forfeit what God has prepared, possibly the leader in that community. God has prepared for the kingdom in order to substitute that for your comfort. Okay? Don't do it. Stay in the first home. God has a way of setting these things up. So that's exactly what he does. All right, what else? Talked about authority. He gives them authority. <coughs> Talk to me about authority. Well, he can dispel these unclean spirits from people that are causing whatever their problems are. And he can, which is performing miracles, and that'll wake up the whole town. Okay. Well, it's, it's, I think it's specifically authority over the, the other power. You mm -hmm. know, saying you, you are serving the creator. You have the ability to command the, the darkness. Okay, good. Yeah, there's, there's this authority. It's the authority of Jesus. It's to cast out unclean spirits. It's to heal the sick. And it's to preach and proclaim the truth. Okay, so these three elements that... Uh, they're going to, going to be proclaiming the gospel of repentance, right? And all of this. And just imagine, these guys, are, they're, they're fishermen. They're common guys. And now all of a sudden, they're doing the same things that Jesus was doing. Out of their hands, miracles are coming. Demons are obeying their commands. This must have just been amazing for them, Right? When this begins to happen, they're just like, did, Peter, did you see? I just, did you see what I, did you see that? You know, they're just blown away by what's going on. It's, it's an amazing thing that Jesus lays on these guys and they begin to practice the power of God flowing through them. And uh, it's just, 
you just got to, you know, you have to put yourselves in their sandals. It's just an amazing thing. Then he tells them that the Bible says that they went out and they healed the sick. How did they heal the sick? How many times is Jesus anointed with oil and healed the sick so far in the book of Mark? Haven't counted them. Huh? None. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. So they're anointing with oil and we haven't seen Jesus anoint with oil. Why are the disciples anointing with oil and Jesus hasn't anointed with oil? Yeah, it didn't It's not there. Okay. So let's hold these details in, um, in reserve. We're going to come back to them. All right, let's move on. Now, we obviously here, you notice the mark and sandwich, correct? You picked that up. I can't figure that out. You can't figure it out. Jesus sends out the disciples. Then he beheads John the Baptist. Jesus sends the disciples out. Now we go to Herod. Herod, we'll say Herod and John. And then we go back, the disciples return from their trip. Okay, so you see the... See the sandwich? Okay. Story within a story. Embedded together. This means that these two stories, they're related to one another. They're connected to one another. So we're going to talk about how they fit together. So let's talk about the Herod story, first of all. Now I've given you a... You all know the story. You've read it. Um, I've given you, I think, a really cool chart of um, the family of Herod. It's very important for you to look at the family of Herod. It's a very twisted family tree. Um, and it's easy to get confused about what Herod is doing what at what time in the Bible. And so uh, we start out with Herod the Great. Herod the Great is at the top in the dark blue. He's the, he's the father of the family. He's the Herod who's on the throne at the time that Jesus is born who kills all the children in Bethlehem. That's Herod the Great. He dies when, by the time Jesus is about two years old. And um, his son Archelaus takes the throne. Um, and after that, uh, we have Herod Antipas. Antipas is another son of Herod by his wife Malthrace. She is a Samaritan. So these are all his the, the, the red ones are, the, are his wives. And the green ones are his children. The children that are kind of important to the story. Herod Antipas is, um, is the one that we're talking about here. Okay? And he becomes the Tetrarch of Galilee and of Perea. So was she married to... Now, Herodias. See Herodias down there in pink? She is, she is a member of the family. She is Herod's niece. She marries her uncle, 
Herod Philip. But Herod Philip didn't end up getting any power or land. And so she dumps Herod Philip, and she marries Herod Antipas, his half-brother, who is also her half-uncle. She's a weird woman. She's a gold digger, but she's also a member of the family. So her daughter, who is the daughter by Herod Philip, we assume, is Salome, who is the dancing girl in this story. She's also related to her uncle-ish. Um, see how convoluted this thing is? This is an, a mess, an incestuous, <coughs> sinful mess of power and manipulation. Okay? That was pretty common at that time, though. That wasn't... <laughs> yeah, and so we've got other Herods. There are two more Herods that will come. Herod Agrippa I and Herod Agrippa II, they show up in the book of Acts. Okay, so this is a helpful chart when you're trying to sort out the Herods and uh, think about how they relate to one another. All right? So Herod has arrested John because John has, um, because he spoke out against uh, Herod marrying Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. And um, so therefore Herodias, who John kind of, he uncovers, he unmasks her, her treachery, okay? She hates him and she wants him killed. But King Herod is reluctant, somewhat wisely reluctant to kill a prophet of God, knowing what Old Testament calamities come upon those who mess with God's mouthpiece, right? And so he's reluctant to do anything about it. So she now goes into manipulation mode, all right? Um, what is the occasion? Happy birthday to Herod. It's happy birthday to Herod time. So it is Herod's birthday. Let's celebrate me. Right? Let's invite everyone over. Who's coming over? The leading citizens and religious leaders. All the who's who people. The religious leaders and the leading men of Galilee. These are the Herodians. These are the, the aristocracy, the important people of Galilee. What kind of food do you think was served at this party? Plenty of it. Lots of it Thanks. and good stuff. Rich food, wine. The best. And lots of wine. Oh, yes. Lots of wine. And in the midst of this, of this, of this party, what happens? We have... <coughs> This dancing girl come out, who is Herodias's daughter, Salome. We find out in another gospel her name is. And she dances. And the king is pleased by her dancing. Um, I would say aroused by her dancing, most probably. And I would say he's probably pretty drunk, drunk. at this point. Yeah. Because he does something really stupid. What does he do? 
What do you? I'll give you up to half of my kingdom, right? Um, so obviously he's he's infatuated with this young girl. Probably wants to take her on as his wife. All right, but she's the daughter of his wife. <laughs> um, his niece. Who is his niece? Who is? I mean, the whole thing is a mess. And um, so, so what happens? She goes to her mother, and her mother tells her what her petition is to be. What is it? The head of John. The head of John the Baptist delivered on a platter. Well, does the king readily, happily, comply with her request? Grant a request. Well, not happily. Not really. Why? What's his What's his concern? He likes John. He likes John the Baptist, but uh, and the people are people like John. What's he worried about? An uprising. He's worried about all these people that are there at the party, right? That heard him make the oath, right? And so, the question then becomes: Who's in control? Obviously, yeah. I think you can make a case for Herodias. Who's in control? Well, God's in control if you want to go there. Who's in control? I mean, you can make a case for the wine. You can make a case for what else? The leading men of Galilee. The guests, right? They're in control. And so is Salome, because she's the one that entices him to yeah. say, to offer her something for this dance, so. The dancing girl yeah. is in control? You can make a case for a lot of people of being in control. The only person you can't make a case for is Herod. Herod, Herod is not in control. He's out of control. He loses control. All right, finally, now, what's the end result? John's death. Tragedy. The death of a righteous man, right? At the hands of unrighteous people for unrighteous motives. All right? So this is the story of Herod, and it's embedded in the middle of this story. Um, finally, uh, verse 30 it says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. All right, so let's just pause there for a moment. The disciples return from their trip, from their missionary experience, their short-term mission trip, and they are excited. You can only imagine, right? 
you will not believe what happened. They're sharing with one another. They're telling stories with each other, right? And, um, and it's just this incredible excitement. I remember one time I went to Mongolia and um, we broke off and you were with us. And we broke off in groups of two, right? And we went out into the bush. I mean, in the bush. There's no bush. It's just across the steppe, <laughs> the frozen tundra of Mongolia. And we went like eight hours in different directions, right? And then, then, we, and then we all came back in these Russian vans. And we had this dinner together. And it was probably, we, I never laughed so hard than at that dinner as everybody told their stories about what had happened, you know, crazy stories, just hysterically funny stories of all the things that had happened to us while we were out there on this trip. And, um, and we just sat and laughed and told stories and after stories, not only funny stories, but stories about how God had moved and how exciting things that had happened for the kingdom. And I, this is what I imagine when I think of the disciples coming back from this trip. They all come back. They're sharing with each other. They're telling their stories about what had happened. But the people are coming from every direction because now Jesus' ministry has been multiplied, right? Not only is it Jesus and all 12 together moving around Galilee preaching, now you've had six groups out there, plus Jesus, so seven groups. And now you can imagine how that's multiplied the crowds, right? And the popularity and the visibility of Jesus' ministry. And so people are coming from everywhere and they're pressing in on them. They don't have time to even eat. And it's just kind of crazy. And Jesus says, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest. So he wants to take them on a debriefing time, right? He wants to get them away to a place where they can rest, where they can share their stories, where he can teach them, right? And talk about what they've experienced, this power that has come from their hands. And so they sneak away on a boat. Well, if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, it's not even as big as Grand Lake, okay? You go up on you go up on any hillside, and there are hillsides all around, and you can see the whole stinking lake. Okay? In one in one shot, you can see the whole lake. And so if a boat's trying to sneak away on the lake, you can figure it out. Okay? It's not that hard. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus is sneaking away to a solitary place, but everybody sees him and they run around on the shore and they get there first. And um, therefore, uh, when Jesus gets off the boat with the disciples, you can imagine the disciples, as soon as they get there, they're ready for some quiet time with Jesus. They get off the boat and there are 5,000 of their closest friends, right? <laughs> that have gathered on the shore to greet them. And they're like, oh, you can just imagine the frustration, right? They're tired. They wanted some alone time. But Jesus' response is different. What does Jesus say? Peter. Not yet. He has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Okay? And then he begins to teach them. And then it becomes late in the day. So his disciples, listen, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, this is a remote place, they said. And it's already late. Send the people away so that they can get, go to the surrounding countryside and villages and get themselves something to eat. And so Jesus goes, all right, dudes, you're finally thinking about the people. 
You're worried about them. You're worried about their food. You're worried about their care. Give them something to eat. And they go, what are you talking about? Right? What do you mean? You give them something to eat. That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give them to eat? Where are we even going to get bread? We don't have any food. What are you crazy, Jesus? What are you even asking us to do? Right? You can see the disciples just kind of going crazy here. And so Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out and they said, we have five loaves and two fish. You know, we find out from Luke, they swiped it from a little kid. Okay? Five loaves and two fish. That's all we got. And so Jesus says to them, have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And why does he say green grass? Of course it's green grass. What color is it going to be? It could be brown. Okay? So he says green grass. Another strange detail. So we got green grass. All right? So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and they take, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. Dan, I used to think of the two fish like this, but you could have two fish that are like... They were probably two fish like that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. These are probably little dried fish. Okay. They're not like, you know, these huge flounders. Okay, so, so we got these, this, this, this meager lunch, and it says Jesus breaks the five loaves and the two fish, and he gives them to the twelve. And then the twelve distribute them to the people. Where did the miracle take place? In Jesus' hands or in the hands of the disciples? Good question. The miracle takes place in the hands of the disciples. It says Jesus divided the two fish among them. He gave, he broke the loaves. He took the five loaves and he broke them. He doesn't multiply the stuff. The multiplication takes place in the hands of the disciples. They are the ones, again, this miracle continues to happen. The power continues to flow through the hands of the disciples. That's where I want to that's what I exactly what I want to talk about right here. I want you to look at when Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Where does this passage come from? It comes from Ezekiel chapter 34. So I want you to go to Ezekiel chapter 34. Everybody, you know, you I know you all do your devotional reading in Ezekiel. Studied that in Sunday school, right, John? From beginning to end. Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? 
You eat the curds and you clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no place. And when they were scattered because they became and when they were scattered they they became food for all of the wild animals my sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill they were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched for them or looked for them skipping down to verse 10 this is what the sovereign lord says i am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock i will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. It will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look after my sheep. So we could go on and read more of this, but that's enough for you to get the gist. What is God saying here in Ezekiel 34? He's talking about the politicians. He's talking about the politicians. Good. Okay. He's talking about the leadership. He's saying the leadership is crummy. It's bad. It's horrible. Really? <laughs> the leaders are preying on the flock. Taking advantage of Okay. We have a Mark and Sandwich here. We have the story of two kings. Two kings who throw a blo- Each one throws a banquet. So let's compare the banquets. King Herod's banquet. Why did he throw the banquet? What was the occasion? His birthday. It's all about me. Jesus throws a banquet. What's his banquet all about? The people. He didn't even want to have a banquet, right? It wasn't about him. It was about the people. Can we note that Jesus does, I mean, his miracle with the 5,000 involves two things. So first they're taught, they're fed spiritually. They're nourished, their souls are nourished, and then they're also nourished physically. So it's a dual thing. Yeah, absolutely. The soul and the body. Who was present at the birthday party of Herod the king? The leaders, the leaders of the people. Right? The leading men, the aristocracy. Who was present at Jesus? Common people. Common the common people. people. What kind of food is served at Jesus' party as opposed to the best of the food and wine of, of Galilee? The basic. Basic. Meat and bread. Okay, bread and fish. <laughs> Who's in control at Jesus' party? Jesus. Jesus is in complete control. Right? He's in complete control. Even over the laws of nature, he's in control. What's the result? Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Fulfillment. Satisfaction. Do you see the comparison between the two? Do you see why we have a Martin sandwich here? We're comparing the shepherds of Israel with the true shepherd. We're contrasting. The shepherds of Israel have been feeding on the flock. What did they do? 
just beheaded the prophet. The only righteous man in the whole palace. They cut his head off. The first one right? he had in 400 As years. As opposed to what Jesus is doing. So you see the contrast here between the two? You see what's going on? And so Jesus is demonstrating that he is indeed the Messiah, that he is the Lord who has come to shepherd his people. This is why the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle of Jesus included in all four Gospels, because it is one of the most important miracles because it is so messianic in its nature. You see, the the people believed, there was a popular belief that God had a storehouse of bread in heaven. That there was a, a this, this secret chamber of bread. Big bang. Okay? And so it, that chamber had been opened when the people were in the desert. And manna was poured out. And bread was provided for 40 years. And they believed that when the Messiah would come, the chamber of bread would be opened again and God would pour out bread on his people. He would feed his people. And so when Jesus does this miracle of multiplying the loaves and feeding the people, they immediately, in the book of John, immediately they wanted to, call, they wanted to name him the king, mm -hmm. right? Because this was what they were waiting for. This was such a sign that he was the Messiah. And so do you see what's going on here? You see this comparison between the two. Jesus is calling the disciples now to feed the people, to take up the mantle of being the new shepherds of Israel. Let's go back to Mark. We've got one minute. <laughs> Story of my life. Okay, so we go back to Mark. You mentioned Psalm 23. Somebody read Psalm 23 for me. Somebody open up Psalm 23. Read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What's that? Green pastures. Green pastures. Thank you very much. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff that comforts me. Your what? Your staff. Okay? How do you know in you know, a children's play when they're doing the play of the nativity at Christmas time, who the shepherd is. He's got the it's the guy with the crooked stick, right? Why does Jesus say to the disciples, carry a staff? Because they are now shepherds. They are the new shepherds of Israel. It was a symbol of who they were. It was a symbol of their position. They are now being called to be the shepherds of Israel. Read on. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So they're eating at a table, right? What did Jesus just do? Feed everybody, right? By the still waters, on the green pastures. Go ahead. You anoint my head with oil. What? Anoint. 
my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So see what Mark is doing? See how he embeds in these details that, you, these details that caused you to go along, you're reading along, and you go, <laughs> staff. Why well, don't take anything but a staff? Why the staff? I don't know. And then you go on a little bit farther, and then they anointed with oil. They anointed oil with oil. Jesus is anointed by Why did they anoint with oil? And so he leaves these little Easter eggs embedded, right, in the story to draw us to this. He's painting a picture. He's laying out an image for us, a very popular, very well-known image of the Lord as the shepherd. And the disciples are now being called to take up the staff. They are anointing with oil because they're shepherds. And that's the way shepherds heal. They are carrying a staff because they are shepherds. Jesus tells people to sit on the green grass because they are sitting in the pasture that God has provided for them. So all of this is being laid out for us. Now, in conclusion, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat after it's all over. We'll talk about the 12 basketfuls later. They come up again. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethesda, Bethsaida, sorry. <laughs> While he dismissed the crowds after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because of the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass them by. But when they saw him on the lake, they thought he was a ghost and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. Notice what's happened to the disciples. If we trace their mindset through this passage, we start out with them excited. I'm so excited, Jesus, look at what happened. We were healing all these people. We were casting out demons, right? They're all excited. And then the people won't leave them alone and they get frustrated, right? And then they go and travel away with Jesus in order to get alone and get some rest. And, and you know, 20,000 people show up because it's only 5,000 men. But then there's women, then there's children, right? So let's say 15, 20,000 people conservatively are there. And they're like, oh! right and then finally they say okay send the people away it's late in the day send the people away it's time for them to go get some food and Jesus says okay fine you give them something to eat and so they're confused and then they're exhausted because they go through this process of feeding all the people it's pretty euphoric but the, by the time you feed 50,000 people 12 guys feed 50,000 people that are you know 15,000 people it's a lot of people Okay, it takes a lot of time. It's well into the night. They're exhausted now. Frustrated, exhausted. Jesus said, okay, now get in the boat and head out. I'll meet you later. Okay, whatever. So they get in the boat, they take off, and the wind is against them. And they are distressed by the wind, and they're struggling against the wind. And then Jesus comes walking on the sea, and the Bible says they're terrified. 
and they think it's a ghost. And then Jesus gets into the boat and it says their hearts are hardened. Okay? Hardened hearts, that's what Pharisees have. The disciples are a mess right now. Okay, we see what's going on with them. They have gotten into this place where they've just gone down emotionally, mentally, spiritually from their exhaustion, from this high point. They've come all the way down to having their hearts hardened. Um, why are their hearts hardened? Because they didn't understand about the loaves. Well, what were they supposed to understand? They were supposed to understand that it wasn't about them. That God had called them to serve to sacrifice for others, to give of themselves. And it's not easy. And it's not easy. And it's not easy. And it's exhausting. But that's what it means to be a shepherd. To be a shepherd of Israel doesn't mean this. It means this. This is what it means. Not this. And they were still thinking like this. We're the disciples. We're the apostles. Jesus says, no, you're shepherds. You've got to be different. And they didn't get it. So were they mad? You got it? Think of the parts hardened. Do you say mad? Mm-hmm. 